Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. This has always been the challenge that Major League Baseball faced, and that is the fact that even in a 60-game schedule, you've got lots of travel. It's not like what the NBA is doing in the Bucks opening game, I think it's Friday, you know, in Orlando, where they've got a bubble, what they're calling the quote-unquote bubble, which is all the, you get all the players there, and you and you hope to keep them confined to Disney World. Now, there are problems with that. I saw a report that one of the players decided, said he had to go to a funeral, he ended up in an Orlando strip club. Who would have guessed that? But, you're, you're, but at least if you've got everybody there, you can try to keep most people in. The problem baseball has is with all the travel between various cities, and you know some areas are more of a hot spot than others. And of course, right now, South Florida is one of the epicenters of the coronavirus in this country. So you've got the Miami Marlins, seventeen players testing positive, which is a large number. The traveling party is only thirty-three, so you've got seventeen testing positive, and not surprisingly, you have the Washington team taking a vote today saying, hey, we, we don't want to travel to Miami for our games this weekend. So I I don't know how you, you deal with that. And I guess if you can confine it to one or two teams, maybe you can continue to play this the schedule. The question is, how are you going to be able to do it? And I, I certainly hope Major League Baseball is able to pull this off. All right, let us get started. I understand that in, in today's day of political correctness, we, we, we look at the various protests that are going on locally, statewide, and across the country. And nobody wants to denounce any of the protesters. That, that, that's it. It's like whenever you have a description of it, we, we have to say it's a peaceful protest, even if there's looting and rioting and people throwing Molotov cocktails, because we, we can't, we apparently can't recognize that some of these protests ha- are being hijacked by by people who have very, very different goals than the original group of protesters. On top of that, I, I think in some cases, you've seen the protests move from legitimate concerns about social justice to essentially just trying to see how can we be the biggest jerks? How can we try to create situations where we have law enforcement or public safety people react and then then we can scream because we know the media is just waiting for for that. And, and we've also seen, I, I think, all sorts of civility go go out the door. And something like that is playing out in Milwaukee right now. And it's playing out at least apparently with the blessing of the mayor and the blessing of the fire and police commission. And it's getting so bad that even an alderman or two are starting to say we need to do something. Now, Chief Morales, and I'm on record as saying I think he's one of the best police chiefs, maybe the best police chief Milwaukee's had in the last 30 years. Morales was never the choice of Tom Barrett, who has kind of just turned his back on him. The Fire and Police Commission has come down with a number of absurd edicts in an effort, I think most of us realize it's an, it's an effort to try to set him up for, for failure. The mayor hasn't had his back. Fire and Police Commission hasn't had his back. And you've got Chief Morales and the men and women of the Milwaukee Police Department who really are that, that thin 
blue line that's out there trying to maintain order. So, all right, what, what's apparently been happening, and this is kind of the way the protest movement has morphed, the way the Journal Sentinel reports it is, for the last several days, protesters, and I say that in quotation marks, have decided to stage protest parties. That's the way the Journal Sentinel describes it. Outside of the chief's personal home. All right, so now this isn't just we're going to show up outside and we're going to stand on the sidewalk and we're going to have signs. They've showed up with boom boxes, dancing, grilling. They bring cornhole games. So they're playing like beanbags in the street um, outside of, of the chief's house. Uh, apparently, at some point in time, um, they bring in loudspeakers, food, refreshments. They chant things like, you're about to lose your job. And it would be nice if the response back was, no, you're all about to get arrested. But they're disturbing the peace, and it's creating an issue. Now, some in the neighborhood are like, oh, we don't want to say anything bad about the protesters. Other people are are concerned about the, the idea that, okay, traffic is being blocked. You've got disturbing the peace. You've got, you know, loud noises outside a private residence. You've got driveways blocked. They put a fire pit in the street. You've got toddlers running through the road. You've got uh, young children, some four or five years old, running up the chief's driveway and shining flashlights into his windows. And the problem is you've got these protesters that, at least in my opinion, they are trying to provoke a confrontation. They are trying to be as big a bunch of jerks as they possibly can, knowing that if the police respond and, and start issuing citations, or, or moving them around because, again, we're talking about private neighborhoods. You know, you want to have a block party, you got to get a permit to do that. And, look, if this was a situation where, okay, we're going to have this protest march and we're going to, you know, walk outside the chief's home, like you had protesters that used to go past when Walker Scott Walker lived in Wauwatosa, okay, they'd set up outside and they'd do these protests. But that's not what this is. This is turning into a street festival. Um, our number Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Does this stuff go too far? I mean, at some point in time, do people who live in a neighborhood, or in this case, even public officials, even public officials, do they have a right to, I don't know, perhaps that the same sense of, of peace that everybody else is entitled to. You you couldn't, if, if you had a group of protesters that just decided we're going to go onto public streets, we're going to block the streets, we're going to have boom boxes, we're going to let kids trespass on people's property and shine flashlights in the windows, we're going to create as much of a disturbance as we can, we're going to have food, we're going to turn these areas into giant block parties. If they did that outside the house of, of most people, what would happen is you'd call the police, the police would come, and they would move people along. They would move people along because it is disturbing the peace to start off with, and it's probably a lot of other violations as well. But because it's the chief of police, we're apparently supposed to look the other way. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to start enforcing the law 
and the rules when it comes to protesters and the idea that here we're going to try to make the chief of Milwaukee's life hell and, and we're going to try to like set up shop and we're going to have boom boxes and parties and kids trespassing on his property. Isn't it time to say enough is enough? And, and look, and I again, I, I understand if somebody wants to walk with signs outside of Tom Barrett's house and you stage a protest, fine, that, that that's OK. And if that's all this was, I wouldn't be bringing this up. But that's not what this is. These are attempts to to clearly bully and intimidate, in this case, the chief of police, who I think is entitled to the same degree of protection that I would argue anybody else in the city of Milwaukee has. And I think it's very clear that you've got some of these protesters who, like I say, they are trying to be as big a jerk as possible in an effort to try to provoke a police response. And the more you allow them to get away with this fill in the blank, the more bold they are going to be. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. I'm sorry. This is just plain wrong. You, you I, I understand you have a right to protest. You don't have a right to descend into a private neighborhood, disturb the peace, set up boom boxes, trespass on somebody's property in an effort to try to intimidate, bully, harass them. It wouldn't be tolerated. It shouldn't be tolerated if it was private citizens. But because it's the chief of police and you've got some of these folks who are trying to provoke a response, well, maybe the response should be, all right, once and for all, we're going to say you, you can't just have a block party in front of some public official's house night after night with the intent to harass that particular public official. We expect the public officials, just like everybody else, are entitled to the protection of the law. And if you keep doing this, you're going to get arrested for trespassing. You're going to get arrested or cited for disturbing the peace. You, you, don't we have to stop this at some point in time? Christina in Hartford. Christina, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, yeah, I think we definitely need to stop it. And this is human behavior. And they're pushing the limits. And we need to let people know what the rules are and what the expectations are for civilization. And, I mean, if we don't enforce it, they're just going to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Right. Well, you know, and you, you saw this a couple weeks ago where you, you had the the, the p- people that showed up outside of City Hall and painted, remember, defund the police in giant block mm-hmm. letters on three city blocks on Water Street. And nobody did a darn thing to stop them. And, and then, gee, so in my, it's like, okay, what are you talking about I can't walk down to Wisconsin Avenue, block three blocks of traffic, and paint, you know, um, Chief Morales right. rules. I, nobody would let me do that, right. but we let these we let these people do it, and all it does, it, again, it's like a spoiled child that you you don't you, you don't stop them, and they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing, and you don't know where it's going to end. Well, absolutely, and I saw a story the other day too about a um, entertainment area that was overrun by teenagers, and they decided to shut it down. Well, the teenagers just ripped the place apart. Yep. This is what we're teaching people: you can do this; it is okay; nothing's going to happen to you. And that is such a wrong. Every every one of these incidences, people yep. need to be arrested. 
on the ground, this cannot be happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. See, and of course, there's another instance of this. I'm, I'm being told by sources that the same thing happened in Wauwatosa. Now, Wauwatosa has been overrun by the, these, it's a relatively small group of protesters who feel they are entitled because you've got the Common Council, you've got the mayor, and to an extent, you've got the Fire and Police Commission that are scared to stand up with them or are in bed with them. I'm understanding, I'm being told that outside the House of Joseph Menza, who is the fire and police, the, the police officer who's being just unjustly, unjustly crucified by the, this this vocal group. Um, the, the same sort of stuff happened outside of his house, you know, yesterday. And, you know, people like yelling stuff and chanting things, disturbing the peace. All right. Now, this is the same group that we let get away with taking over Mayfair three days in a row, with storming into the Cheesecake Factory, all those things. Here's what happens. You let the mob, and in this case, it's a small mob, you let the mob get away with bad, illicit, illegal conduct, and all you do is embolden the mob. How much of this stuff are we going to take before we finally say, you know what, there, there is law and order, and just because you you are unhappy just because you decided that, okay, this is going to be your particular cause of the day, that doesn't give you a right to get to make your own rules. Tom in Watertown. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Hiya, Jeff. Hi, Tom. Here's my point of view. is I'm a Democrat, and i got a sign out front of my house that says I back the badge, or we back the badge. I, I would have these people arrested. I'd have these people fined. If you had a district attorney down there that had some BA, you know what, and uh, would start putting these fines out there that would, would stick, the thing is that we're losing everything that we're going for with these Black Lives Matter. Now, I believe in the Black Lives Matter, but with all these other protests every day on the news, you're losing all that. You don't see the Black Lives Matter anymore. All you're seeing is... Right. It, well, it is. I mean, thanks. It, what, what's happening is that this this quote unquote movement is now co-opted by small groups of, of activists who have decided that they've got their own little agendas, however weird those might be, and that the rules don't apply to them. And I understand why they might think that the rules don't apply to them, because you know what? So far, the rules have not applied to them. And at some point in time, don't you have to say enough is enough? Devin in Milwaukee. Devin, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say about um, how you were saying people are, were invoking, uh, trying to invoke a police response. Yep. I, I don't think that's the case. I really think that they're trying to invoke a a, a uh, social response, a, a, a political response. You know, they have the right to, to protest, and I, I agree with you that they don't need to be on their property, and right. they don't need to be... Um, in front of their house, giving them right. the business. But if they have the right to protest for something that they don't feel that is right, they have the right to do that. You know, but no, but Devin, but you can't you can't have it both ways. I'm not saying people don't have a right to protest. I'm saying people don't have a right to occupy a, a city block with boom boxes, turn it into a party every night, trespass onto private property. That that's not legitimate protest. That at that point in time, you you start <laughs> violating the law. 
And I agree with you. They okay. don't have a right to get on the private property. But if you're on public property and, and, and you have a you have a legitimate right to protest and you're doing it peacefully, you're not harming anybody, you're not on anybody's property, like you said. I I, I feel like that's a that's a valid way to oh, Okay, no wait, let me let me let me stop you. No, I'm not let me let me stop you there. Okay, so do you think that just because let let's say, Devin, that you have a there's a bunch of people that get hacked off at you for whatever reason and they decide that they want to stage a protest. So they find out where you live, they occupy night after night. The, this public street in front of where you live, they got loud music, uh, emergency vehicles can't get by, they turn it into a roving street party. I mean, do you think they have a right to do that? I absolutely do, Jeff. The right to protest well, peacefully. But, 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 no, but, you, but you don't, you, but you need, you need a, you can't block streets. You mean you, you, you can't block streets, can you? Okay. I mean, if, if it's a, if it's a peaceful block. <laughs> no, they, no, I'm sorry. I'm not, no, it, it's, it's a peaceful block. No, you, you, you can't. I mean, it, if if I decide, all right, that I, I'm again. Let, let's take you, Devin, and thanks for the call. But I, I'm sorry, I'm not with you on this one. You know, you. I, there, there are places that you can go and stage protests, okay? I get that. But that's not what they're doing. What you have is they've decided to target the police chief. So we're going to have lots of people that come outside of his house with loudspeakers and, um, you know, food and games and things like that. And we're going to, we're disturbing the peace. We're blocking emergency vehicles from getting through. We are essentially occupying public areas of the city. You are not allowed to do that. That's, I can tell you there's all sorts of ordinances that are being violated there. And, and that's not the right to legitimate protests. And I guess I also disagree with you that this, let's understand what this is. They are, it, you're not winning hearts and minds because I'm willing to bet that most people who hear about this say, oh, gosh, I, I think it's great that they're out there harassing the the, fam- the family of the police chief. Oh, we think this is great. No, there might be a small subset of people, but I think most people recognize this is going too far. Let's understand what's happening. The people who are organizing this are trying, at least in my opinion, to provoke a police response. Oh, look what's happened to justify then further bad behavior. I'm just saying that this, if you think you're going to win hearts and minds, this isn't the way to do it. But but here's the bottom line of all this. The city of Milwaukee needs to start getting a grip on some of the things that's going on, just like the city of Wauwatosa needs to start getting a grip. I, this isn't all about legitimate protest. Nobody argues about that. But we all know when the stuff goes too far. And by the way, I don't think this is necessarily a large group. You're not talking about thousands of people. You're talking about a relative handful of people, both in Wauwatosa and in Milwaukee that have defined agendas. They're trying to be as big a jerk as they possibly can to try to see what the police will do. And, you know, maybe it's time for the city attorney and the mayor and the fire and police commission to allow the police to be the police and deal with this before it gets worse. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. There is a symptom And there is a problem. Here is the here is the the symptom. The symptom is because of the stupid micromanaging, politically correct, anti public safety musings of the Milwaukee Fire and Police Commission. That's the 
that is the symptom. The problem is that you now have law enforcement agencies that are bailing on their commitment to help the city of Milwaukee with the upcoming Democratic National Convention. All right, so here's the deal. When, when a convention comes to town, like the DNC, what, and regardless of what form it is, you need help from outside law enforcement agencies. So what the city has been doing and what Chief Morales has been doing is going around and getting commitments from surrounding police agencies, actually police agencies all across Wisconsin, saying, can you, can you send us some guys? Or gals, you know, can can you give us five officers for the week of the DNC? Can you give us 10 officers? And what we're going to do is we're going to use those officers to supplement the officers that we already have to provide security and crowd control and, and things of the like. And you have a, a number of police departments that had said, well, sure, we're, we're more than willing to help you. you know, what do you need? We, we understand that this is a big deal here. We'll, we'll send you people. All right. So that that's the backdrop of this. A number of those police agencies that had made commitments to come and help out Milwaukee, they're now bailing on them. Um, At least three police departments so far have withdrawn their commitments. Police departments in Fond du Lac, Franklin, and and West Dallas have already said, we can't can't send you officers, sorry. Um, And it's starting to spread. There's more and more, I think, agencies that are going to be saying exactly the same thing. And that's because, not because they don't want to help Chief Morales, not because they, they don't want to help try to maintain order in the city of Milwaukee, but what's happened is... The Fire and Police Commission, with its micromanaging and its rules, have made it, at least in the minds of some of these police chiefs, they have decided that by following the Fire and Police Commission rules, you will put their their officers, you will put them in danger. And so they're not committing them. Here's what's happening particularly. The Fire and Police Commission, which has become this overtly political and politically correct entity has issued an an edict which has said to Chief Morales, we don't want you using tear gas. We don't want you using pepper spray. um, And and we don't want you using that on, on protesters. All right. Now, tear gas and pepper sprays are common non lethal ways of dealing with crowds that are out of control, but before the crowds get completely out of control. You have a handful of members of the Milwaukee Common Council, and unfortunately members of the Fire and Police Commission who do not have the sense that God gave a goose, who have decided that they are going to hitch their wagons to some of the more vocal, loud, jerky protesters and quote-unquote community activists who are saying, well, the, the, the police tear gassed us. Well, yeah. And you got a couple hundred people who decide that they're going to ignore barricades and try to block the freeway and march down the freeway and they refuse to disperse. Yes, the police use tear gas. And, and yes, the police use tear gas to try to disperse crowds before they turn into arsonist looting mobs. And, and, and sometimes it works and, and sometimes it doesn't. But, you know, if you don't use non-lethal methods, what happens is situations frequently and quickly get out of control, and then 
you end up having to use perhaps more lethal methods. But anyhow, this edict that says, right, during the Democratic National Convention, you are not supposed, we don't want you using tear gas, we don't want you using pepper spray. Well, a lot of the police chiefs that had pledged to help, they're saying, we're this is crazy. We're not sending our officers into this situation because we're going to be essentially tying their hands and putting them in danger by not allowing them to use common police tactics. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the, the symptom is, of course, that, that you've, you've got this political correctness and that we're, we're now you've got these, these police departments that are bailing on the DNC. The problem is you've got a fire and police commission that wants to hide the hands of law enforcement to prevent them from using tactics that I, I think have been tried and true over the years that you use to control crowds, particularly out of control crowds. So let's tee this up. Does it make any sense at all? at all to tell local authorities you can't use pepper spray you can't use tear gas if you've got groups of people that are there throwing bricks at you or frozen water bottles or spitting on you or things of the like if they're refusing to disperse if they're getting ready to loot if they're getting ready to burn things down we don't want you to use tear gas because well some of the people might not be happy with that 855-616-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line i'm telling you the mayor the fire and police commission and a whole bunch of members of the Milwaukee Common Council better get their heads out of their you know where's before things get really bad and tying the hands of law enforcement makes no sense you are setting people up for some very bad things when the Democrat, if protesters do show up for the watered down DNC. Is there any reason to tell the cops they can't use tear gas? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You really cannot make this stuff up. Okay, the the West Dallas deputy chief sends a letter saying, look, our concern is that in the event protests turn non-peaceful, the policy of the Fire and Police Commission, no pepper spray, no tear gas, removes tools from officers that may be otherwise legal and justifiable in order to to utilize in specific situations. Um, The decision to withdraw, not done lightly, but the department believes, this is West Dallas, that the policy of the Fire and Police Commission would compromise the safety of officers and the public. To which I say, damn straight. But the mayor, I don't think, cares about you know public safety in this regard. Common Council, I don't think, cares. And I don't think the Fire and Police Commission cares either. They have decided, like I say, to hitch their wagons with some of the more vocal complainers and protesters against public safety in the city. Franklin Police Chief Rick Oliva, he, he sends a letter to the chief saying, look, it, we're, we're not sending people to assist at the convention due to recent decisions by Milwaukee elected and appointed officials. Here's what uh, Chief Oliva writes. It is apparent there is a lack of commitment to provide the Milwaukee Police Department with the resources it needs to ensure the safety of peaceful protesters, attendees, citizens, and police personnel. I cannot, this is the chief in Franklin, I cannot send personnel if they are not properly equipped or will not be allowed to engage in appropriate actions that would ensure their safety. 
Um, the chief says, hey, when, when they initialed this agreement, they were originally to help out. They were told that there would be sufficient resources to handle multiple unruly persons. And now the Fire and Police Commission has said, um, no. Uh, here's Jeff. Here's some text. Jeff, if Milwaukee had their way, they would want police to hand out business cards. What a joke. Yeah, that's the common council here. We let's say we, we've got these people that are throwing bricks. Be sure you go out and give them give them your business card. Um, let's see, Jeff, the reason any community hires a professional police chief is so a well-trained and experienced individual can make solid administrative and operational decisions regarding the operation of the police department. You cannot have a group of ignoramuses like the Milwaukee Police and Fire Commission dictating these things they simply do not know what they're doing and and yeah well the the problem is you've got political concerns that are out there so you've got a handful of loud vocal protesters who show up and say well we were out there protesting and yes some people were looting and they used tear gas and oh isn't this terrible then you've got aldermen or older women in some cases members of the common council who have decided their political future at the moment and the winds blow different places their political future at the moment is better served by serving the loud unruly protest elements of the community now I, I think they'll ultimately come to regret it don't ask me about Barrett. Barrett ran for re-election. This is clearly his last term. I get the idea he just he wants to just collect his paycheck and then ride off into the sunset four years from now, which case if that was what he wanted to do, he, he should not he should not have run in the first place. A um, number of people are saying, Jeff, I, I it makes no sense. Um there there there's a revolution that are being that's being planned. Um I I, I don't know about that. It's just if if you know that you have, for example, the Fire and Police Commission that have completely and totally tied the hands of the police department. What you are doing is you're making it impossible for them to do their job. You're putting their lives at risk. And at some point in time, bad stuff is going to happen. Now, a number of people are texting, and I, I do kind of, I don't go down this conspiracy route, but here's a text. Jeff, there is no accident that this is happening. You have sympathizers on the Fire and Police Commission and the Common Council, including the mayor, who I, I think the implication here is you're trying to figure out a way to force Chief Morales out, so let's not allow him to do his, you know, his job. Well, there is an element of that, that that's out there. But the bottom line is you have to give police departments the, the tools to do what what they need to do. And I think if you talk to any police officer who's ever been in a situation of crowd control, they'll, they'll tell you that what you need to do is you need to use progressively more escalating techniques to try to get the crowds under control or you can be like madison and you can be like portland and you you can just decide like they did the first couple nights in madison we're not going to engage we're just going to let people loot and burn and rob and and do whatever they want destroy whatever they want well okay if that's the kind of community you want that's the community you end up getting but i think for most people that's not the attitude that people have. And what we want to see is you want to see the police have the ability. And I'm not saying you, you come in and the first time you see a couple protesters, you shoot tear gas. Nobody would argue that. But you need to be able to use non-lethal methods to disperse the crowds. Because if the crowds are getting larger and more violent and more unruly, you don't use tear gas. Well, sooner or later, unless you're just going to let them burn down the city and break into and loot whatever you want, what you have to do is you have to escalate the amount of force that you're going to use. And that's where, you know, people end up getting hurt and things like that. So bottom line of all this is this is a very dangerous game of chicken. 
that the mayor is playing, that members of the Common Council are playing, that the Fire and Police Commission is playing with the police department and with other area police departments who are charged with trying to keep things under control. It's a really dangerous game of chicken, especially understanding that you have some, certainly not all the protesters, but some who are out there trying to provoke confrontations, trying to create anarchy, trying to do whatever it is that they think they can to try to get the, I, I don't know, attention of whatever. And I've argued before, you know, tearing down statues and looting and burning buildings and things like that, that doesn't really bring anybody over to your cause. But it hasn't stopped them because we haven't stopped them. And now you're starting to see the chickens come home to roost. Area police departments are saying, and I'm paraphrasing, what they're doing in Milwaukee is just absolutely nuts. And we're not going to set our police officers up to be hurt, to be injured, to potentially be killed by out-of-control rioters without giving them some of the means to defend themselves. This is Jeff Wagner. And this is Jeff Wagner. This story, I, I don't know, the, the word that comes to mind is irony, but but maybe there, there's more to it than this. You will remember a couple weeks ago you had, again, the violent protests in Madison where this got completely and totally out of control. The, the mayor essentially told the police department to kind of stand down. Um, the, the governor said, well, we, we need to have the Capitol Police defend the, the buildings. We don't want them to go out. And heaven forbid that they would engage with the rioters and looters. This was the night that you, you had the statues that were destroyed. And if you will recall, State Senator Tim Carpenter, who was out there with his cell phone in the middle of the mob and he was like videotaping some of you know he had it videotaping he, he was like, filming it with his with his cell phone camera remember that and then you had the two women who you can see this they they turn on senator carpenter and, and they come to him and and they just it's two women they beat the crap out of him well okay authorities have been looking for those people you know you got them on film I mean, you got their faces and yesterday they identified them and apparently um on monday they, they turned themselves in only after they were identified by members of the public well here's the story one of them 26 year old samantha hamer and one 33 year old Corita o'reilly both um, were arrested on suspicion of being party to a crime of substantial battery and robbery with use of force. Okay, so it's these two women that, that turn on as, as part of the mob that's out there engaging in all this illegal conduct. They, they turn and, and they beat Senator Carpenter. All right, well, here's the dazzling detail about this. One of the two, Samantha Hamer, 26 years old. All right, get this. She's listed as a school social worker in the Mount Horeb School District where she works with students and families who are struggling with social emotional needs, behavioral issues, and environmental issues in the family, school, or community, according to the district website. So in other words, the, the woman that is at least charged at this point in time with beating Senator Carpenter, all right, her job as a social worker is to work with students and families who are struggling with social emotional needs and behavioral issues. <laughs> I, I, I would hate to see what her advice would be to those families if this is how she behaves. Just asking. 
Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Melissa, I, I'm coming to believe that in certain respects, I'm a freak. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, aren't we all? Well, in certain, okay, so, so here, here's, here's the deal. So, at home, I have... I've got a couple laptop computers, but I also have a desktop computer, you know, and, and it's, it's the old one. It's like the tower thing that oh, plugs yeah. into a monitor. Mm-hmm. So I probably had it for eight or nine years. I, I mean, I, 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 I've had it for a long time. Sure, that's a long time. I, I've had it for a long time. And um, it, it's been kind of finicky on me for the last year or so, but it but it serves its purpose. Well, Sunday, I, I sit down to do some work on Sunday evening, and, and Sunday I've lost the internet. And what 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 happened was the 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 card, you know, that allows you to, it, it, it's gone bad. So it, it doesn't register any, like, wireless internet or anything oh, no. like that. So yeah. it's done. So I, I call a friend of mine who knows more about this stuff than me, and, and he says, how, how long have you had that? And I say it, and he says, you know, Jeff, you know, it just... Just get a new right, one. Right, exactly. Oh. You, you, you've got more than your use out yeah. of that, and it's been acting up on other things, and this is just a sign... Get a new one. Okay. Yeah. Get get a new one. So okay, fine. So I'm Sunday night. I'm I'm out there shopping. And I find this and I'm and I order one on Amazon. And you know they it, so it was delivered at the house today. So I, I said to my I said to Fran I said okay well if you happen to be home make sure you you, you bring it in. So you have something exciting to use when well, you get well, home today. Well set up. I oh mean, yeah. That, I, 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 we've got I've got some plans for this evening. But I was sitting there saying I I am genuinely excited about taking this thing out of the box and seeing if I can get the thing. Set up now. I'm, I might not be able to do it, mm-hmm. and the the most difficult aspect is going to be moving stuff from. I, I have like a I have this backup thing, this exterior backup thing. So, are you going from a tower unit to a laptop? No, I'm going. I have laptop. I'm going from a tower unit to now. It's 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 still a desktop, but it's all it's self contained. It's self contained. Okay, gotcha. It's not a tower, but I I've got this this external drive that like is a backup. So I want to get the thing set, and then I want to move all the files, or at least many of the files, from my Old one to the new one. That makes me so nervous. Well, it does. It makes me nervous. <laughs> it makes too, but me I, so nervous. But, but I'm excited about. I'm yeah. sitting there thinking, okay, well, you know, I, I've, I've got stuff I'm doing right after work, and we're going out to dinner with some folks. So I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get to it tonight. But I, I'm sitting there. I'm, I'm genuinely excited yeah. about trying to see if I can get this, this thing up and running and get it functional. To which I, I guess it did occur to me, and I said this to Fran. I, I said. I'm a freak. (laughs) (laughs) What did she say? Did she agree? Yeah, she said, you're my freak. You're my freak. (laughs) Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. But it it is. It's kind of like this. I'm like, all right, this this will, and and it's a check, because I'm, I know just enough about computers to be dangerous. I'm reasonably confident that I'm going to be able to get it set up Mm -hmm. and that I'm going to be able to get it logged in the internet and all that stuff and get my favorites. And the challenge is going to be moving the stuff from the old computer to the new one. Once you get over that hump, I think you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. You add in all the favorites. The thing that makes me nervous, and it's a similar situation, is when you are transferring to a upgrading an iPhone. It's sort of the same thing. Everything's in the cloud and you're hoping that everything comes down to your new phone, but right. similar situation, but a little different. Yeah, and at the end of the day, I'm figuring, okay, I mean, there, there's actually, there, there's nothing on this computer. At, first of all, it's still on there. I just can't get on the internet. It, you have to kind of still, rationalize yourself. Right, it, it's like, still mm-hmm. there, and worst case scenario, if I can't figure this out, yeah. I'm sure I can find somebody that if I throw them money, they'll, they'll come over and they'll do it really easy. But I'm, 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 I'm thinking, I can do this. I, I can do it. It's or a I challenge. Can at least, 
Yeah, that you can talk to me now, and then two days from now I'll be going on the Grumble like, Grumble Challenge. Yeah, I, I, I we'll, we'll just call somebody. But I, but it's it's the that little things exciting. in life. It's mm-hmm. it's yep. the it's the challenge that's that's out there. And then I'm gonna have this new desk desktop top computer up in my office. And then you're so. gonna want to stay at home and and do the show from home. No, no, I like. Oh, okay. I actually, it took me a little while. You know, those eleven weeks, I. I, I, I got used to it, but I'm glad we're back now. Me too. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm back. I'm glad yeah. I'm looking at a face. Yeah, as opposed that's to really just, nice. Wait, just it, a voice, random voice out there. It, 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 I think well, that's Jeff. It, that sounds like Jeff. That <laughs> yeah. sounds like that. So we'll we'll see. I'll keep you updated sounds on how good. that thing, but I, I have decided I am a freak. Yes, a number of people texting and uh, pointing out the, the, the irony, you know, of course, the, the story that one of the members of the mob who beat Senator Carpenter um, badly the, the night of, of the riots turns out to be a mount at least uh, one of the people that's charged is, is a mount horrible social worker who apparently has been suspended and i guess it, it does give some new thought to this idea you remember that there's all this defund the police out there and all, all these people who want to say we, we need to have fewer police and more social workers huh I, I don't know how that cuts if you've got the social workers that decide that that they're going to go into crowds and they're going to you know beat middle-aged men as part of a mob I don't know. Do we, do we really do we need more social workers, or maybe we do need more social workers here? You know, you, you've got these crowd of rioters out there. We'll just we'll just turn these social workers loose and let them go and and, and beat up people. Well, maybe that's not the best idea. Okay, we've got a decision to make in in this area, and different school districts are are making it in different ways. Uh, school is supposed to start in the next month or so. And different school districts are coming up with different policies, as we've talked about in the past. The the strategy for the Milwaukee public school system about reopening is they're not going to reopen. It's going to be virtual learning for the foreseeable future. And if if that means that the, that the kids are going to struggle, well, it means the kids are going to struggle. Milwaukee public schools figure that they cannot reopen safely. And I, I look, I, I defer to their judgment. And granted, MPS has issues that are different than a lot of other school districts. You've got, um, in some cases, crowded classrooms. You've got kids who have to take public transportation. It's a different factor. But I, I'm this guy that believes that local school districts should have the right to make these decisions. I, I think that Marquette University, Marquette University High School, um, I think that Wisconsin Lutheran High School, I think that private and parochial schools should have the right in the city of Milwaukee, as I've argued before, to decide if they can safely reopen. And I think it, it's appalling that the Milwaukee Health Department would try to decide to prevent them from doing that after they've been working for months and months to come up with a safe reopening plan. Throughout the suburbs, it, it, it's it's all split. The suburbs are all over the, the map. In, in Wauwatosa, They've decided that, okay, virtual learning for like the first week or two, and then they're going to start trying to get kids back into classrooms. West Milwaukee, um, they're they're saying, okay, well, we're going to be virtual in the beginning. We're going to try to get people back into class sooner rather than later. In a number of the suburban districts, you've got, hey, we're bringing people back five days a week, and we're going to see what happens. We've got plans if there is an outbreak, but we're, we're hoping to get through this. Other school districts are doing things like uh, two days on, three days off, various things. So different school districts are coming up with different ideas. But one of the things that that permeates all of this is that that parents will have an option to to not send their kids to school. That that they're in, in every different district that I have seen, 
and, and maybe somebody will correct me, but I don't think this is the case. Every school district that I have seen, certainly around here, has provided an option for virtual learning for parents who are uncomfortable sending their children back to school. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will you send your kids back to school, in-person learning, if you're given the option? Um, if, if, you're, if you're a grandparent, you know, or your kids are grown, given what's going on now, would you continue with virtual learning or would you say, look, it's just virtual learning has been kind of a dumpster fire for most kids. I've got to get them back in the classrooms. I'm willing to take the risk. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you send your kids back to class? If you've got kids and you've got school-aged children and you've got that option, are you planning, will you send them back for in-person instruction, or are you going to keep them home? And what is driving your thinking? And similarly, I guess if you had kids and had to make that decision now, what would you do? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Because I, I think learning is so important, and because I think this virtual learning has, again, just been, it's, I don't think it's working for most kids. I would tell you, I, I think if you were asking me what, you know, Jeff, if, if you had school-aged children, what would you do with them? I would send them back. I would send them back to school. If the schools think they could reopen safely, I would do that because I think you got to get the kids back to school. What will you do? What would you do? We discuss in a moment. Our number, 855-616-1620. This is Jeff Wagner on WGMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. There's no really right or wrong answer to this, but uh, the, the question is for, for parents out there, if what are you going to do if your school gives you the option, virtual learning or sending the kids back for in-person instruction? Because virtual learning in most school districts is is an option that's provided. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, um, unless there were real compelling reasons otherwise, I'd, I'd be sending my kids back um, if my if my if. For, for the grandkids or for my nephew, yeah, I'd say, you know, if at all possible, you, you want to get them back into school as soon as possible. Okay, 855-616-1620. Here's a couple texts first. My son goes to Marquette University High School, and I believe they have a great plan. I am fine with him returning. On the other hand, I work for a public school district. I wouldn't send my kid back. Despite all this time, I have no, they have no plan yet. Um... Let's see, uh, Jeff, my kid's school has no option for virtual learning. They're planning almost no precautions. I agree with sending kids back, but I don't want my kids to be the guinea pig. Um, Jeff, send them back to school without a doubt. Jeff, my daughter is going back. She needs to be challenged academically and socially. Um, her school has a great plan, and I'm, I am happy with that. Uh, let's see, Jeff, I'm sending my five-year-old son back 
in-person school five days a week. Um, it's very important for him to get back to in-person learning and also to build up his immune system against other sicknesses other than COVID. What happens after COVID passes? Will a common cold, cold end up being uh, deadly? Um, Jeff, I will send my kids to school. They both have intellectual disabilities, and online learning did not work for them. And it's it's just impossible for speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, adaptive gym to be done online. Frankly, um, both of my kids have regressed. And I think, you know, that's that's what you hear from from a lot of the parents. And look, I, I understand that it's, it's a balancing act. And I, I get, you know, yesterday we were talking about companies that are making the decisions for example google says hey we're we're not bringing people into the office for a year so if that's the decision you wonder okay what does google know if they're not bringing people into the office for a year what does that say about opening schools public or or private well to me i mean it says this is what school districts have been supposed to be doing over the course of the last several months we we understood where this was going we understood when we had to close down in march that that this was still going to be an issue in the fall. And matter of fact, at the time, some people were saying, okay, it's going to be even more of an issue, you know, in the fall, once you've got the regular flu season and stuff like that. So you, you've had school officials that have had, well, a, a month, or months to, to try to work out a, a plan. And again, I don't know if it's going to work. I mean, it, it very well may be that, you know, you, you have a school that reopens and all of a sudden it's like the Florida Marlins and you've got, you know, half the school where the kids come down with COVID. I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, will there be isolated instances? Of course there will. No question about it. I, I don't think in most schools that you're going to see some general outbreaks, particularly if they've done it in a smart fashion and they're making the people social distance and they're making the kids wear the masks. Although I understand that you're in an inside setting, which is where this is more likely. Nevertheless, I, I think I think you have to try. And inevitably, I get this email saying, well, how many kids are you willing to see die? Well, you, you, you've got to try to get people back unless you're just going to shut down the schools for a year or two or, or three years, which I think would all would be unacceptable in the extreme. So I think you have to try to do this. You have to try to be mindful of this. The good news is, as a general rule, it's it's not going to be if the kids do get sick. It's not going to be life-threatening in almost all instances, not saying every instance, but in almost all instances. It's why we see the number of COVID-19 cases, even though they're going up, hospitalizations aren't, deaths aren't at any sort of particularly greater rate. And it's because the people who tend to get sick are the younger people who, again, you get a little bit of a cough and, and you're you're over it. Now, nobody wants to get sick, but it, that same thing is going on. So I think you want to try to get people back into back into schools and you want to get it as as soon as possible. Jeff, let's face it, right now going back to school is a huge experiment. At the end of the first month of school, we're going to know who did it right and who did it wrong. Unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of teachers and a lot of kids who are going to get the coronavirus. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe not. I and and when you say a lot, I, I don't know exactly what that means. Hopefully the schools have plans to figure out how to deal with this. But at the same time, you know, we, we don't shut down. We 
We didn't shut down essential businesses. We didn't shut down Walmart. We didn't shut down uh, Target stores. We didn't shut down Costco. We didn't shut down Sam's Club. We didn't shut down grocery stores because, you know, a couple of the employees got coronavirus. We, we didn't. What we did is we kind of adapted. You isolated. You sent them home. And you got through it. And I guess I'm wrestling with why schools should necessarily be any different. I mean, if you can keep a Walmart open and you can keep a pick and save open and you can keep a Costco open, I mean, shouldn't we at least try to keep the schools open? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Now, you know, we, we, we do talk about schools opening and people trying to be smart and things like that. And then... Then there's stories like this that just underscore that old saying that you just flat out can't fix stupid. Now, look, I I understand that we have all these debates about how COVID-19 spreads and do do you need to wear masks? Should you not wear masks? Is it unreasonable to say uh, wear a mask when you're you're outside? Um, all, All those different things. But the one thing that we do know is that inside in large groups with people bunched together, that's where the disease is most likely to spread. It's not saying that you can't get it in other places, but but that's it. Inside, close together. All right? Say it again. Inside, close together. Which brings me to the story, the headline. New Jersey police spend nearly five hours breaking up house party of over 700 people. Jackson, New Jersey. Police spent nearly five hours Sunday night and into early Monday breaking up a house party with more than 700 attendees. 8.30 p.m. Sunday night, police responded to the house on a report of a suspicious incident. After speaking to neighborhood residents, police eventually said the crowd grew to an estimate excess of 700 people, with well over 100 people parked in the area. The owner of the house was contacted. He told officers he had rented out the residents on Airbnb, and those people were hosting a large party. As the crowd continued to grow, police said the homeowner left the area as 200 additional people arrived at the residence and the party began to expand. Word of the party grew on Instagram. Um, and so what ended up happening is, I, I guess the people who rented it were these two women, ages 22 and 23. The homeowner was a 40-year-old guy. Um, but, but, but again, you have, you have 700 people that showed up. To which my point is, again, you, you can't fix stupid. Now, I, you know, we, we talk about, okay, is this an overreaction? Is that an overreaction? But at the end of the day, I don't care what you do. If you have, if you have people that decide it's a good idea to have a party with 700 people, and what about those 700 people? I mean, can you imagine? Hey, I'm 23 years old. I have, there's this giant party. I'm going to run to this house and I'm going to socialize with 699 of my closest friends. And you wonder why there's a lot of people in their teens and their 20s who are getting sick. I, you know, and the reality is we're not going to be able to ever do anything about that because you can pass all the mask rules you want in the world. But at the end of the day, you can't fix stupid. And if you're going to go to a house party with 700 people, you, my friend, are stupid. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I think it's a good idea, and I think it is necessary. I want to revisit something we discussed briefly yesterday, and we've talked about now that it's becoming a reality over the last couple of weeks. In March, as an effort, as all sorts of people, millions of people were losing their jobs, 
Uh, the federal government stepped in, and the federal government sent a lot of people twelve hundred dollar stimulus checks. And and there was no there was no means testing to this. It was based clearly on it was based on on the income that you reported either last year or two years ago, depending on when you had filed most recently. And so you have a lot of people who have, for example, a lot of money in the bank um, who really didn't need that twelve hundred bucks. They they got the twelve hundred bucks because it was based purely not on assets, but it was based on your your adjusted gross income. So a lot of people who needed it got it. A lot of people who really didn't need it got it as well. So you you had that. In addition, you had unemployment insurance. Now, typically, unemployment insurance is paid through the state. And it exists, um, I don't know, in many cases, it probably provides, it's a safety net. It's about 30 to 35 or 40 percent in typical cases of what you were making when you were employed. It's something to tide you over. It's not permanent welfare, but it, it's designed to tide you over while you find another job. The thinking of the feds was because we've had this sudden blow to the economy and you have all these people who have lost their jobs either permanently or um, per- perhaps just temporarily because either of government shutdowns or just because of market a, a market fluctuation, we need to help those people out. And so the decision was made to send everybody who qualified for unemployment 600 bucks a week on top of what their normal benefit would be from the state. Follow me on this? Well, the effect of this has been that for lots and lots of people, like about 68 percent of the people right now, they make more money by being unemployed than they made when they were working. And in some cases, it's a lot. I think the numbers I saw that the median, the median is about 34 percent more a week from not working when you add in that $600 benefit than from working. All right. This is obviously something that is unsustainable as the first of all, it costs a ton of money to do this. Secondly, as employers try to find people, it makes it much more difficult to bring people in and say, hey, we're going to pay you 13 or 14 dollars an hour. If you say, hey, well, I'm not interested in the job because, you know, I, I I'm making 18 bucks an hour, you know, by by not working. All right. Those benefits, that extra $600 a week, is set to expire. Now, there's still millions and millions of Americans and millions of Americans who are, in fact, unemployed. And some of them are looking aggressively for jobs. Others, not so much so. But you have an unemployment system right now that creates a disincentive for people to go out and aggressively look for jobs or um, to... Uh, if, if their report, if their employer calls them back, obviously they've got to go. But but that's only if their employer then reports them for failing to go. And report employers are reluctant to do that. So you have a disincentive to work. Those six hundred dollar a week benefits are due to expire. Matter of fact, I think today this is the last week for them. So yesterday. The Republican, the Democrats, they want to continue it. Let, let's let's give continue to give everybody six hundred bucks a week through the end of the year for being unemployed. If in fact you know you've been working through this as an essential worker, um, well, you're 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 out of luck. You'll get that same twelve hundred dollars stimulus check that everybody else does, but otherwise you're you're just you're just out of luck. But we appreciate you working. All right. So here's what the Republicans did. They said, okay, this is this is our plan. We've got to stop with the $600 a week, that's too much. It's creating a disincentive for people to go back to work. So here's what we're gonna do. 
through the month of September, we're going to drop the $600 a week down to 200 bucks. Okay, that, that's it. And then in that month, we're going to figure out the system so that nobody, by the time you add the state benefit to the federal assistance, so you don't make more than 70% on unemployment of what you were making when you were working. So in other words, we're, we're going to help you. We're going to give you more than you would have gotten, but we're not going to create this bizarro system where you make more from not working for the rest of the year than you do from working. So we'll cut, we'll drop it down to 200 bucks for a month because we have to figure it out. It's going to take some time to work through this and figure out how much people can get. Nobody will get more than $500 a week from the federal government. That's going to be capped at 500. So it's either 500 or 70% of what you made, whichever um, is whichever is less, I think would be how the right way to say that. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, of course, you've got a lot of people, a lot of talking heads in the national media, and a lot of Democrats saying, oh, this is just terrible. This, this is just terrible. We need to continue to give people $600 a week. There's no reason at all we should consider stopping it. The uh, state of Wisconsin, the Department of Workforce Development, um, that, which has been just an unmitigated disaster. They're, they're the ones who've been unable to process these claims, and we've talked about this a couple times. I know there's a, still a lot of people who are still waiting for your first unemployment check. They're waiting in saying, hey, if you did this, um, it, it's it's going to make these delays worse because you know we're, there's no way that we're going to be able to, to help figure out what 70% of your pay is. It's beyond us. We can't figure that out. So it's easier just to give people 600 bucks. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I actually think the Republican plan is a reasonable compromise. What it does is it provides people an added level of a safety net in addition to just you know what you're going to be getting from the state. So it's going to give you more money than you would have otherwise gotten, but it's not going to give you so much money that you have a disincentive to actively try to find a job. To me, I I think I I think that makes I think that makes perfect sense. Now I understand that you know if if you're just in it for handouts Okay, that that's fine. If you don't want to aggressively look for work, if you don't want to go back to a fifteen dollar an hour job because you're making eighteen dollars an hour not working, I, I understand all that. But at the same time, you've got to have a balancing. And I am also sympathetic to all all the people who have been working throughout this entire thing who haven't gotten a dime. Well, everybody got the 12, or many people got the $1,200 stimulus checks. But but beyond that, that went to everybody. You know, you know I, I think there's a lot of people who probably have been working going, God, I wish I got laid off like, you know, like Larry Moe and Curly did in my workplace because they've been making more not working than I've been making working. And there's something that's wrong about that to me. All right, we discuss in just a moment. I think this plan makes sense. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And for the state of Wisconsin, the people that run the unemployment offices to say, well, we don't think we can figure this out. It'll be bigger delays. Well, maybe Tony Evers should have done what he should have done in the first place, which is fire some of the people that haven't been able to figure out how to make this work and, and, and then get people in who know what they're doing. All right, we discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
855-616-1620. I, I actually, I, I think th- th- this, and I don't say this a lot about government ideas, but I think this makes sense. Now, in fairness, I did not criticize the initial $600 a week added unemployment benefit because I thought it was important to, to get money into people's hands and to give them something to, to tide them over while we were trying to work our through, way through the initial round of the, the coronavirus mess. But you, you can't do that forever. You can't just gear up the government printing presses, and you can't have a system that disincentivizes people from wanting to try to go back to work. And that's precisely what we have, and I think that gravy train has to end. This, to me, is a, is a reasonable balancing of this. It's like, all right, we're going to still supplement you. You get extra $200 through September, and after that, um, you'll you'll get no more than $500 or 70% of your your salary, whichever is the whichever is the lesser of those two, whichever is the greater of those two. And, and so that, that, to me, ends up making sense. You're still getting a little bit extra money, but you're expected to go back to work or to aggressively try to find work. I think that makes sense. It's reasonable. Frank in Bayview. Frank, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, thank you very much. Again, uh, I I would echo uh, most of your comments on the subject. As a union carpenter uh, through my working career, uh, beyond my apprenticeship, that is, I would net around a grand a week, working a 40-hour week. Um, If I was unemployed, uh, the unemployment would pay just under 400. So as you said, it, it was a bit of assistance, but... There was, you know, the encouragement there to obviously get back yeah. to work. Um, a couple hundred dollar a week bonus, if you want to call it that, you know, just to help people through these these hard times, I believe is fair. But anything beyond that, like exactly what you said, it disincentivizes people to get back to work. You know, from from my point of view, all I want to do is get back to work. Right. I think we need to shift the focus from, you know, helping people through not working to get back to work. I think we really need to shift the focus to getting people back to work. Well, I, well, exactly. That's my comment today. No, no, th- thanks for calling. And, and I mean, again, that's, that, that's the, that's the idea that, that's out there. I mean, if, if we're going to bring this economy back, what you need to do is, and, and, and look, and, and I understand we're still wrestling with how do we reopen, particularly in some areas and things like that. But, but, you know, there, there has to be, when, when the workers, when, when the workforce and the workers call people back, I mean, they, they have to expect people to come. And I, I understand the thing that if, you know, you, you get brought back, if, if you own a restaurant and you call some servers and you say, I want you to come back, and they say, well, we're not going to do it. Yes, you can call the unemployment office and you can dime them out. But but that that's that's a lot to expect. In addition, there's this entire universe of businesses that aren't calling people back or, or maybe they've closed. And and so you, you've got this entire universe of people who has no incentive to go out and, and look for a job. And again, I'm I'm not necessarily faulting those people. To me, it it, it makes sense. I love what I do. But if you, you paid me. 130% to not look for a job as opposed to what you're 100% of what you're working making when you're working, you know, a job. Of course people are most people unless you are a freak, most people are going to make that decision. Hey, I'm I'm just going to stay home and I'm I'm going to hang out. Why why go through all this this trouble? Gianni and Montello, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, hello, Jeff. Uh, good topic. Uh, listen, let, let me preface my, my, my question to you um, by, by asking this rhetorical question. Um, why don't Americans save more money for a rainy day? 
Um, uh, why so much credit card? credit card debt these days i i mean if if people would just put aside uh maybe uh 10% of their income over uh you know a period of 20 years they would have something to fall back on uh and but we don't seem to do that in the united states we we spend 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 and we get ourselves into debt which leads me to my question um is the money that is being sent out um, is that is that off the printing presses we're not actually borrowing this from from uh in, in from from the Chinese or bonds or anything like that. We're just running the, the right. presses, That's right? That's my understanding, it yes. Putting it right. into the right. it's, just, it's just government spending, right, okay. exactly. So at, at some point in time... Eventually, that leads to inflation, right? Right, and, and right, it, it's, right at, some point, at some point in time, you're, you're looking at inflation. Um, you are going to probably be looking at government bonding to pay that back. No, thanks for calling. I mean, that's, it, 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 there, there is... There, there is no such thing as a free lunch. You know, you also raise an interesting point, Gianni, about you know the, the whole. I mean, will, will people take a step back and say, okay, you, you need to have like a rainy day fund? And I, I understand how difficult that is. You, you know, you, it's, it's always been amazing to me how, how little savings, you know, people have. Um, and, and, and I understand that there's people who live paycheck to paycheck, and, and I get all that. At the same time, there's a lot of people who could be saving and, and for whatever reasons just just don't and and it and it's easy and you know and then unfortunately what happens is you start to get older and you start to look at retirement you start to go oh my goodness you know what's i, I don't have anything put away and and now what am i going to end up doing but but that's that's perhaps a topic for another uh day jeff um let's see the uh they uh, da, 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 let's let's pick a couple here. Jeff, I lost my job due to COVID. Was making well over a hundred thousand dollars. Emergency fund is depleted. I am aggressively looking for work, but without the extra, won't make every won't make ends meet. Not everyone is making you know forty thousand bucks. And then I look and I, I I appreciate that. And yes, if you were making six figures and you suddenly lost your job, right. $500 or $700 a month, a week, isn't going to match what you were making. But at the same time, there's got to be a balancing of this that, that goes on. And if you were just getting regular unemployment, you, you wouldn't be getting even close to what that is. Um, and again, I, I just... I, the, the numbers I was looking at, it, it's about like 60 plus percent of the people who are with the extra, with the extra 600 bucks are making more than they made. And the story in the Wall Street Journal last week said the median amount was 34 percent more than they made. Well, you, you can't, you, you, that's just, it seems to me it's, it's not, sustainable. Jeff, I have not missed a single day of work. Maybe I'm a freak as well. I enjoy being part of the workforce. I think it's a good plan. The $600 must stop. We need to encourage people to get a job. Jeff, the free ride should be over. It's a good idea. You'll get enough to get by instead of being overpaid. Well, I mean, I I don't I don't know about overpaid, but th- there are limits. Look, and I'll give you one of my best indications of this. Back in the the last recession, so 2008-2009, normally unemployment benefits run out after six months. Well, because you had so many people that were unemployed, we had all these extensions, and it varied from state to state. But in some cases, you could go instead of 26 weeks, you get 52 weeks. In some cases, you could get, I I don't know, I think like a year and a half. And and what happened is you, you had people who weren't looking for jobs because they made the decision that they could make almost as much 
without working. And so what happened is once those benefits finally started ending, that's when mysteriously you saw people going back to work. There is a relation. And I'm look, and I, I'm not suggesting that, that the people who are collecting the, the six hundred bucks a week are malingerers. I, I'm I'm not. There's there's a certain percentage of that. But I do suggest that you can't have a system out there which creates a disincentive for people to want to work. And so you have to find a balancing of that um, that that's that's out there, um, Jeff. I've had a lot of contact lately with the construction trades, and they're just crying to find new people to come into the trades and learn it. I've also talked to a number of manufacturing people, and they're trying to find more people for their increased capacity in their plants. At least in Waukesha County, there seems to be jobs. Now, I, you know, the other thing is, I hear regularly from people who work for the temporary firms, like the, like the placement things. And, and at $13 an hour, they can't find people who are willing to take those jobs. Because why? Because you can make more than $13 an hour not working. Now, I understand that, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's not the job that you wanted. Maybe it's not the job that you were necessarily trained for. Maybe it's not necessarily a job that, that you like. But at the same time, it is in fact a job and it's something to do until you find something that's more suitable to you or more in line with your skill set. I, I just, to me, this plan makes sense. And I understand the easier plan is just go ahead, keep, keep giving people $600 a week and continue it for another six months and that'll make people happy and they'll be more likely to vote for us and things like that. Well, okay, sometimes you got to do the right thing, even if the right thing is maybe the harder thing. And like I say, as far as the people in the state of Wisconsin, guy that runs the Unemployment Compensation Division, which has been a disaster from the beginning, him whining that, oh, I don't think we can do the, I don't think we can run the numbers. It's too much to ask us to figure out what 70% of somebody's income was before they were unemployed. Give me a break. Like I say, Tony Evers, if the guy you've got there can't do the job, fire him, get somebody in who can. And and given the fact that over the last couple of months it's been apparent that they haven't been able to do the job, maybe that's something that you should have done a couple months ago. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, Tony Bennett, look, look, look at the monitor. Look, yes. look at the monitor there. What do you <laughs> notice about that monitor? That I we're see watching? that Mayor Tom Barrett is sporting a little bit of a goatee. Mayor Tom, we, Mayor Tom Barrett, who's been, been on his vacation milk carton <laughs> while the, the city homicides through the roof, all these different things. He's he's now back and yes he's got a, a is it a little bit of it, facial hair yeah, yeah. It's, is that a goatee or a beard it's a combo kind of goes around the upper lip and down to the chin I don't know if I can see the side of it. all if right he's so that, full beard, that's but. it and of course it's come in way I, here's here's the deal some guys look good in beards mm-hmm. and other guys like me and I, I so I throw that out. Other guys like me do not look good. Yeah, in, I'm right in, there with you. Don't, don't look good in beards. Because I can grow one, but the problem is, just like Tom Barrett, I'm now at the point in life where my the, my beard comes in white, and huh. so it, it makes me look ten years older than than I than I am now. Why anybody would want to do? I mean, I guess you know when you're 15 years old, maybe you want to look older. Yeah, but yeah. when you're my age, the last thing you want to do is like look like the old Add man in the sea. Yeah, you just don't want to do that. That's that's not it. And um, well, like I say, there, there's some guys that look good in beards. 
Then there's some of us who who don't look good in beards, and <laughs> then there's Tom Barrett, who I <laughs> just. But if, if you are wondering, we haven't seen Barrett at all. You know, you've got all these different things that are going on, and he's he's been working on the facial hair there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's noticeable. I don't know how long it how if he needs to shave every day or not, but that's a new look for him. I, it's a, it's, a, it's and I guess we'll let people decide whether it's a good look now. But but now that he's got the beard, maybe he can come out and address some of the other things, like why he's not supporting the police chief and. You know what? What we're going to do to um, uh, again help get protests under control and all those type of things. But he's got a beard. He's at least accomplished something. He, he's got the beard. <laughs> did you? Um, did you ever go to Fuddruckers? The restaurant? No, I've never been. I, I grew. Did you ever go to Fuddruckers? No. It's I, yeah. It's I, the reason I bring this up is um, it, it was Fuddruckers. They they had they used to have like several of them in the state there's one in janesville there was one in appleton yep that's the one i know of uh one in brookfield and i think there was a fourth one that it was somewhere and they all started closing um and and the the, the last fuddruckers in wisconsin was in brookfield and they, it's it's closed for good oh, now so i missed my chance <laughs> you missed your chance well it, it was one of those things that was big years ago you know and it was a Kind of like a build your own burger that you'd order a burger and then you, you, they had like a, you do your own toppings sort of yep. thing. So you'd like go through and you could, they, they had this like cheese sauce and stuff that you could put on oh. that even, yeah, um. even back then I knew it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't good for you. But if you missed Fuddruckers, the last one in Wisconsin, yeah. um, ended up closing. So that's it. It's just some, some restaurants gone and I just, I, I kind of shed a tear for them. Fuddruckers, yeah, don't necessarily know. Okay. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know a couple things. First of all, I'm a law and order guy. I, but at the same time, I don't believe in, in making rules, in passing laws or ordinances that you either have no intention of enforcing or that are impossible to enforce. For example, the city of Milwaukee has one uh, has, has the uh, in certain respects, it is the most extreme mask ordinance in the state of Wisconsin. Now, the reason I say in some instances is because in, in Madison, their mask ordinance essentially says when you're inside, you got to wear masks. But they do have this provision that says that if I invite somebody over to my private house, the guests have to wear masks which to me is absolutely ridiculous, and it, it's completely unenforceable. What are you going to do, come into my apartment or my house and, and tell me, you know, that, gee, you know, you had a couple, you had your friends Joe and Janet over for dinner the other night, and, and you know, I, I, we were looking through the windows, and we saw that you didn't make them wear the mask. I mean, it's just, it's so extreme that it's it's absurd. All right, now, in Milwaukee, they, they have a mask requirement that goes farther than I, I think anywhere else in the state with regard to people wearing masks outside. And, and the rule is essentially you have to wear a mask anytime you're outside in the city of Milwaukee, despite the fact, and unless you're not never going to be within two yards of somebody. Well, okay, good luck with that. And in spite of the fact that the science tells us that typically COVID-19 is not spread in outdoor casual contact settings. Now, if you're on a beach and you're sitting next to a whole bunch of people, like hundreds of people, and you're on a beach and you're going to be there for hours, maybe it's a different story. But in general, just walking down the street, unless somebody comes up and sneezes on you, the, the chances of, of getting COVID-19 are not great. Is it impossible? No. But that's why I, I think the Milwaukee mask ordinance, for example, is... A, an overreach 
that in, in the case of the outdoor requirements just isn't based on, on reliable science. Moreover, it's just either flat out not enforceable or it's not being enforced. Uh, just for the sake of discussion, yesterday I, I took a drive through certain areas of the city of Milwaukee. And I saw all sorts of people out on the street. And I would say maybe two out of ten were wearing masks. It, that's that's just the observation. Now, maybe if I had gone an hour later, there would be five out of ten. But I, I think that the bottom line is people aren't following this when it comes to outdoors. Indoors is a whole different story. And there, there's just no enforcement of it. So why do you pass something if you're not going to enforce it? Or if, if the majority of people just think it's unreasonable and they're not going to end up doing it. So I think that's kind of how I look at the outdoor mask requirement in the city of Milwaukee. Um, there's something else. Chicago, and we discussed it, we alluded to this earlier, but now I want to talk about it. Okay, Chicago, which is quickly becoming the murder capital of the United States. The mayor of Chicago is a woman named Lori Lightfoot, who is just a train wreck, just on, on so many different levels. But her response to coronavirus has been to impose quarantines. And so what happens is there are, if you are traveling from a large number of states, um, for example, including Florida, Arizona, Louisiana, Alabama, Nevada, South Carolina, Georgia, Mississippi, Tennessee, Texas, Idaho, California, take a breath, Arkansas, Utah, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Iowa, you have been, and you travel to Chicago, you have been supposed to quarantine for 14 days. You get to Chicago, you got to quarantine. Um, they have now added Wisconsin and other states. Let's see, I think Michigan is on the list, I believe. Um, let's see, um, Iowa is now on the list as well. If you travel to Chicago, you are supposed to quarantine for 14 days. Um, according to the rules, Quarantining means you must stay at a single destination, designated home or dwelling for 14 days before doing any activities outside of the home or the dwelling. While you are there, you should monitor yourself for symptoms and distance yourself from others in the dwelling as much as possible. You are not allowed to be in public or otherwise leave the place you are staying unless you are seeking medical care or a COVID-19 test. This includes leaving the dwelling for food or other necessary supplies. You'll need to arrange for these to be delivered to you wherever you are staying. If you are staying in the same dwelling, follow me on this, as people who have not recently traveled, you should stay in a separate bedroom from them and use a different bathroom if possible. If you're planning to stay in Chicago for less than two weeks, you're expected to follow the self-quarantine guidelines for the entire duration of your stay. So in other words, if you go to Chicago, you're supposed to lock yourself up for 14 days unless you are an essential worker, which includes health care, financial services, agriculture, IT, military, government employees, or officials traveling on government business. All right, so so that's the rule. You go to Chicago, you're supposed to lock yourself up for two weeks. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Would you do this? 
I, I mean, just I, I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, what? I mean, if for some reason I I had to go or I wanted to go to Chicago, and trust me, right now Chicago is one of the last places that I have any desire to go. In part because, candidly, I'm less worried about COVID-19 than I am about getting shot on the mean streets of, of Chicago or getting caught up in some riot or something like this. But you, you've got this this 14-day requirement. The fine for failure to do this is 100 to $500 a day, up to $7,000. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have several friends whose kids live in Chicago, all right? They are, they are not essential workers. If they decide that they're going to go to visit their kids, they're, they're not going to self-quarantine. I, I just, I know it. They're, they're not going to self-quarantine. They'll go down there. They'll, they'll go out. If they want to go out and sit on an outdoor patio and have dinner, they're, they're going to do that. Um, if you had reason to go to Chicago, you know, would you self-quarantine? And I guess I, I just I think about these things and I wonder how ridiculous is this? Because is anybody going to comply? Now, maybe in a place like Hawaii, where they catch you at the airport, where it's an island or a series of islands, you fly in and they have health department people waiting for you to grab you when you get off the plane. OK, maybe I can understand that. But for Chicago, where you can drive down there, or you can come in on a train, or you can fly, is there any way of enforcing this? And if not, why bother? 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a minute. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'm sorry, but this is nuts. I, I made this point earlier in the show. Somebody texts Jeff. How is this going to work for the Milwaukee Brewers when they travel to Chicago this year? Exactly. I mean, I, I can't imagine that baseball players are essential workers. So forget the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Cub, the Cardinals. Um, uh, you know, what about what about the Cubs and the White Sox when they travel outside the state? So they they travel. You know, you you fly to I don't know. You, you're you're up in Milwaukee. You're now in Wisconsin. So you're coming in. You have to quarantine, not leave the house for 14 days, and and. Baseball, they can't be essential workers, can they? My, my point is, this is just absurd. It's just, it's absurd. It's unenforceable. Why bother with something like this when it is candidly ridiculous, at least in my opinion, on its face? Maybe if you're in Hawaii and you're trying to control the flow of people into an island, all right, you, you can at least argue that it's something that you could do if you make that commitment, but not Illinois. Let's start with Peter in Illinois. Peter, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? Real well, thank you, sir. What do you think of this? So I'm a transplant in Illinois. I'm telling you, you know, everybody is getting totally sick of Lori Lightfoot. Yeah. Um, you know, she she's trying to control her little island in Chicago, like you said, about Hawaii. But, you know, here's the thing. You know, it was interesting, the last part that you read about essential workers not, you know, being in, included in that. Because, you know, Pritzker goes to Wisconsin pretty much every weekend. Yeah, he, he, you know, is he and, that, uh, he's the governor of Illinois. He own, Does he own property in Lake Geneva? I'm not sure. Yeah, but yeah, and yeah, I think there's a farm or something up there that he owns. But uh, right. you know, it's just you know, 
they are never, you know, at wrong, and, uh, right. you know, they just want to put their thumb on everybody else in Illinois, and we're getting tired of it. Well, the, it, it is kind of interesting to me, because, right, if the governor of Illinois, who hangs out in Lake Geneva, like you say, on most weekends, if, if he's going to be there, and he's going to go back to Illinois, and he's going to travel to Chicago, okay, d- does he have to quarantine in Chicago for two weeks? Or, or do, I mean, I, I, you, you raise, it's, it's, it's thanks, see, these are these, these are these questions, and why the, the whole thing gets to be so in, incredibly absurd about that that whole thing. Okay, my friend Debbie Lazica says that they've already confirmed baseball players are exempt. Why would baseball players be exempt? I mean, why, wait a second. Why would baseball players be exempt from this? I mean, that that's that's now an essential service. I, and look, I think the whole rule is stupid. So don't, don't get me wrong. But why? Okay, why should, okay, if you're playing baseball, it doesn't apply to you, but if you're going down to visit your kids in Lincoln Park, you're supposed to, like, stay inside for the whole two weeks that you're there, or any any time that you're there? G- give me a break. I mean, uh, or if you're not an essential worker who, uh, but you're still, you're not an essential worker, but you're still working, so you're driving from, say, Kenosha down to Chicago to work and then going back, you're supposed to quarantine yourself? It's it's this type of stuff which makes absolutely no sense just along the same lines of, gee, if you live in Madison and you're going to invite guests over to your apartment or to your house, those guests have to wear masks. Okay, really? Now, you could suggest maybe it's a good idea. I, I still, I mean, I think about that and I'm picturing... All right, young men and young women getting together and meeting each other at some establishment or eatery or whatever, and one thing leading to another, and one goes back to the other's apartment, and okay, who, whose turn is it to wear the mask tonight? It, really? Margie in Waukesha. Margie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Margie. Yes, yeah, so it seems silly to arbitrarily ban the entire state of Wisconsin. You've got little rural towns that have three, 400 people if any of those people decided to go to Chicago, they're going to have to quarantine, even though they have literally one uh, one case, positive case in their entire county. Yep. <laughs> there are counties in Wisconsin that do that. And to your point, what about all the people that come in from Illinois on the weekends? Right. They own property up here. Are they going to have to be quarantined? And to your point also, how are they going to... Right. If you're coming in on an airplane, maybe... But you're going to drive. Are they going to stop every person with Wisconsin plates? It's just it's just ludicrous. And I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. It's it's just insanity. It, well, it is. It is. Thanks for the call. It, it yeah. is insanity. Okay, here's a text that makes another point. Jeff, have you ever been to the outlet stores in Kenosha? You will notice that 75 percent of the cars are from Illinois. What percentage of those 75% of the cars, you guess, that are in the outlet mall with Illinois plates, how many are from Chicago? Uh, fair fair question. I, I don't know. 15%, 25%, a half? I, I don't know. But but you know that there's people from northern Illinois, including Chicago, that are coming up and they're they're doing business up here. They're not essential workers. Or they're, they're shopping or, or they're doing whatever. Or they're going up to Door County. I mean that that's let's say okay you got a place in Chicago you you know you live in Chicago you got a place in Door County that you go up to for weekends or you go to Lake Geneva for weekends according to this rule when you come back you're supposed to quarantine yourself for 2 weeks nobody's going to do that 
I mean, oh, I, I, I've just gone up to Door County. Now I've got to come back and I've got to quarantine. People are just going to flat out ignore it. And, and this is my problem with rules that you pass. Oh, this sounds like a good rule without any practical way of enforcing that. And candidly, without any common sense. And to Margie's point, yeah, okay, so you're, you're going to, let's say, a Door County that has a much lower incidence of, of COVID-19 cases than Chicago, but we're going to say you have to self-quarantine? I mean, where does this whole thing end? It's just absolutely nuts. And it's part of the thing that I've had problems with some of these rules that are passed with no thought as to how we're going to enforce them and how they're going to work in this thing we call the real world. This is Jeff Wagner.